interviews. Batman, you're listening to Inside Your Head. Wowie, zowie, holy interviews, fantastic. And I never asked to grow up, so please don't make me do it. I wasn't meant to grow up, don't think I'll make it through it. Things have been going south since I hit puberty. It looks like growing up is just too much for me. Welcome to Inside Your Head. This is Nasty Neil, and I'm joined by Anita Pointer of the famous Pointer Sisters. It's very awesome. Hello. Hello, Neil. Glad to be with you. Yes, glad for you to be here. Thank you. Yes. So right now you have the book out. It's been out for a little while. Fairy Tale, which you wrote with uh, your brother Fritz. And yeah, yeah, so you can get that at (laughs) anitapointer.com. Yes, that's right. And Barnes & Noble. And uh, Amazon. Amazon, yes. All the places you get a book. All the ways you get books, yes. Exactly. And I'm so proud of it. It's a wonderful story about our family. And uh, it just hits on a little bit of everything. The girls, the boys, mom and dad, you know, everybody. Our cousins. When did the the idea come up? I'm sorry, I, I don't want to talk over here, but well, when did the idea to, to write a book come up? Oh, God, it's been years I've been working on a book, on this book, you know, and it came up. Finally, we got, you know, a, a hold on it, and uh, we just started writing it down. Because I started this, God, it, it's been like seven years. It's been like seven years in the making. It was start and stop, you know, writing is rewriting. And that's what we kept doing, me and Fritz, and, and finally we got it done. What's that experience like to go back and, you know, revisit these memories? You know, Neil, um, it was really hard for me. A lot of it, a lot of it was very, very difficult to, to recall. I didn't want to recall it, you know. It was things that were hurtful and, and painful and, oh, you know, it was, just, it was such a struggle you know, from the very beginning, to get a record deal <laughs> in the in the '60s, you can imagine what it was like in San Francisco. You know, with Haight Ashbury, and we were living over there. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And me and Bonnie and June were living in San Francisco at the time, doing backup singing. We were the Pointer uh-huh. Sisters as backup singers. Uh huh. And we had such a good time, but it was such a struggle. You know, we were making like fifteen dollars a show. <laughs> But, of course, then times were different because our rent was like $100 a month. Right, right. You know, so <laughs> it all balances out, I guess. You know, it's all relative. Yeah. We're, I, I, I don't know if you were talking, I don't know. But back in the, back in the 60s and Haight-Ashbury, were you uh, part of, like, that scene? Were you part of uh, what was going on? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> We tried to be anyway. We were right. hippies, you know, wearing uh-huh. our bell bottoms and our love beads and all that stuff, all that good stuff. We were there, and we were working with, you know, people like Taj Mahal, uh, Elvin Bishop, Dave Mason, Grace Slick, mm-hmm. Tower of Power. We were, we were singing backup for all these groups, you know, and, and, that, and, and Sylvester, Sylvester and his house band. We were there before the... Uh, what are the two tons of funds came on later, but we were the Pointer Sisters were Sylvester's backup singers. 
And we just had a great time, you know, just even with the struggle. Because Mm -hmm. David Rubinson rescued us from a horrible experience when the Pointer Sisters went to Texas trying to get a record deal Mm -hmm. and got stranded because the guy we went with just kind of kicked us to the side. And Bonnie just happened to have David Rubinson's card, his business card, in her purse. Because she had been to his office, but he had never, ever seen me, and I'd never seen him. Uh-huh. But he sent me and all, and all three of us tickets home, back to Oakland. And as soon as we got back to Oakland, he put us to work doing backup singing with all these groups around, around San Francisco. And it was amazing. We had so much fun, but it was really, really hard. You know, we were struggling every day and walking. We had no car. Mm-hmm. Being in San Francisco, walking up those hills. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we so, walked so much, the cable car drivers started giving us free rides. <laughs> well, that's good. That's yeah. nice of them. Yeah. Yeah, that was so nice. They recognized us. We'd always be walking around the city. Uh, yeah. So, so how do you go from being, you know, uh, backup singers to becoming, you know, the Pointer Sisters? Become well, you were the Pointer Sisters, but becoming, you know. Uh, an actual group that, that perform as, as yourselves? Well, I think it's it, one of the things that uh, made it happen was the songwriting. Mm-hmm. But there weren't many female groups writing songs back then. And I was on the road with, Dave, with uh, Dave Mason, and we were in Woodstock, New York, at a motel. <laughs> and I was listening to my cassette of James Taylor, and I just got to writing, and I wrote Fairy Tale. And oh, I wow. took it to Bonnie, and she helped me finish it. And we took it to David Rubinson, and he was like, oh, my God. This was you know, a couple of years later, you know, yeah. probably, or maybe a year later. Back then, the time seemed so long when it was maybe just a year or a summertime, mm-hmm. you know. But um, that's one of the things, I think, that helped us get through the door is that, that we were writing our own songs. Did you write all your did you write all your songs throughout the uh, throughout the the different eras? No, we didn't. No, we didn't. We got you know we wrote as many as we could. I tried to have one song a, a collaboration at least on every album the Pointer Sisters did, and mm-hmm. I I think I kind of kind of did that. I have a song on almost every album. Something that I collaborated with Allie Willis on one of the songs with uh, Peter Wolf with Sheldon Reynolds from Earth, Wind & Fire. Um, it, there's a lot of great stuff on, that I, you know, contributed to the point mm-hmm. of this that, and I, I love writing. And, is that why you went with the fairy tale name for the book? Because uh, not only it's fitting, too, it's a fairy tale, you know, uh, you things yeah. that come about, but also a personal song that since you wrote and helped uh, establish you. Yes, it sure did. It even helped. I mean, Elvis loved our song and recorded it on his Elvis Today album. And he performed it live. I have video of him performing it live. And he said this uh, song was the story of his life. (laughs) Hmm. So we, you know, it's... Uh, you know, obviously you're the Pointer Sisters now, and stuff. But earlier in your career, when Elvis is singing your song, that has to be uh, that has to be quite the experience. Oh God. I'm just so sad. I never got to meet him. Oh, really? That's that's too bad. I know. I met his daughter, Lisa Marie, but I never met him. And we were working so, so much during those days. I mean, we were constantly on the road. And 
I remember him being in Vegas, and we were hoping we could get there, but we never did, not not at that time, to see him. But I love him <laughs> for doing my song, and he got, you know, we got to the Grand Ole Opry. We were the first black female group to ever get a Grammy for a country song, mm-hmm. and the first black female group to ever perform at the Grand Ole Opry. Yeah, it's pretty, uh, that's an amazing accomplishment. What was that experience like? It was some, oh my God, I was terrified. Because, <laughs> <laughs> of course, we were the only black people there, and there were picketers outside saying, really? country, music, country. Mm-hmm. And we got into the arena, we got in there, and we you know, went on stage, and a gentleman stood up from the back of the room and said, hot damn, them gals is black. <laughs> <laughs> And we sang our song, Fairy Tale, and then he jumped up and said, Sing it again! And we sang it again! Uh-huh. We sang it like three times. But they loved us. They really did. They gave us so much love, and I really, you know, appreciated that. You know, because that, that was before Lil Nas X and all those, you know? Yeah, exactly. And uh, I think the only country artist around then was Charlie Pride. Uh-huh. And uh, black artist, that is. Yeah. That's a good story, though, because there's someone who, you know, maybe just through uh, ex- their, their life experience, they, they didn't meet any black people, but it brought uh, brought some people together through music. Exactly, exactly. I'm telling you, I'm sure he was shocked to see us there. Right. We were the first black group to ever perform there. <laughs> uh-huh. So I'm sure he was shocked, and I'm so glad we got to give it to him and make him love it. And he asked us to sing it again when we finished singing it. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. You know, you had so many different genres of music. Like, uh, why was that? Was it just you were interested in different styles of music? Yeah, we were. We liked a lot of different kinds of music, and I didn't want to get stuck into one, you know, thing just sounding the same over and over and over again. And uh, David Rubinson turned us on to a lot of the jazz that we did, Lambert Hendricks and Ross, and, you know, with Cloudburst and uh, Salt Peanuts and songs like that that, you know, I can still sing them. <laughs> <laughs> There's some you know, you study, but those are the songs we really had to study for. But and then the country stuff was just natural because our church was country, and you know when I wrote Fairy Tale, it was I didn't start off saying I'm gonna write a country song. Yeah, it just kind of happened. And the next year after Fairy Tale, too, I wrote another country song called Live Before You Die. It was nominated for a Grammy. But it did not win a Grammy, but it was, it was great to have it nominated, you know? Yeah. And uh, Live Before You Die is a really great song, too. It's a really great song. Yeah. And yeah, we, I... loved, uh, we loved, you know, hip-hop. Uh, well, we weren't really doing any hip-hop. We loved right. disco. Yeah. You know, the dance music. I love dance music. I was so mad when they were talking about disco is dead. I'm like, who <laughs> said that? <laughs> uh-huh. Disco can't die. Yeah, but yeah, we we tried to you know give them what they want. It was just, and it was just easy for us because we were you know four girls, all different ways, all different personalities, and uh, it was good to kind of challenge ourselves and doing different kinds of music. And we won jazz awards. We won the uh, Billie Holiday Jazz Award in Paris, and we won the Playboy Jazz Award. And then, of course, we won the Grammy for country stuff. And uh, the disco, I mean, we just, it was great. Our music, uh, like, jump and so excited. Mm-hmm. They're, they're great to work out for, too. So people <laughs> loved them on the floor, the dance floors. Yeah. 
Yeah. Do you think that that definitely helped in the longevity of the Pointer Sisters? Is uh, you know, not sticking to one style of music and 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 changing or adapting with the different eras that was you know what was popular at the time. I think so, but we kind of started out that way, you know. Yeah. We started off. We had all kinds of things on. Uh, we had blues. We even wrote a song called "Shaky Flat Blues." Me and Bonnie. Uh-huh. And that was on one of our first albums. So we were doing blues, jazz, country. You know, it does help to, you know, make it inter- interesting for the artist as well as the audience. Mm-hmm. And you're not singing the same stuff all the time. You know, it just feels good to be able to do different things. When we first started, we've got our first record deal in Atla- for, on Atlantic Records, and we went to... New Orleans first, and then to Jackson, Mississippi, and that was Anita, Bonnie, and June. And they told us, you know, you have to sing a certain style. We said, we want to sing it all. Why do we have to sing? And they, you know, they said, well, we got some great songs here for you that's like the Honeycombs and the Jacksons, and that's what we want you to do. And they, they did those songs, and we took the tape back to David Rubinson, and he took the tape and threw it across the room. <laughs> He said, that is not what I intended for you guys. This is not your style. This is not what we want for you. I'm going to get you out of this deal. And he did. Mm-hmm. He got us he- out of that Atlantic deal because they, it was horrible. We didn't, you know, that's, they, they laughed at us when we brought songs in that we had, you know, mm-hmm. the, the style that we wanted to do. They laughed at us. They black girls can't sing that stuff. That's what they told us to our face. You cannot sing that. Black girls cannot sing that kind of music. <laughs> Well, here we are singing it. Yeah, right. Yes, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so we were insistent on that, and we got, we finally got through it. Thank you to David Rubinson. He really believed in us. You know, and that's what all artists really need. If you finally have someone that really believes in you and they can make it happen for you, you stick with them and, and you know, give them love, just like they're giving it to you. Mm-hmm. You mentioned him you know, several times here, and it's uh, clear that he, you, you, uh, you consider him, you know, um, inspir- you know, uh, a big part of why you guys are, were successful. So, do you think if it wasn't for him, you know, things would have uh, might not have turned out the same? What do you mean with David Rubinson? Yeah. Oh God, yeah. He, I mean, he. I didn't even know at the time, but he mortgaged his house. Oh wow. To, to uh, you know, get us on the road. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. I just thought he was a rich guy. Right. You know, but he uh-huh. got everything going for us. But I found about years later that he had to mortgage his house to get us going. And he he believed in us. He pushed us, you know. And and after he showed our show at the boarding house, and we we broke Bette Midler's record at the boarding house. Oh, wow. Attendance. Mm-hmm. And Bill Graham came to see us, and he was just, he was just through. He just, I, he, he was really... Uh, amazed at how wonderful our show was and i can i'm just oh i mean the stuff we did back then it really was amazing it really was amazing was the the success ever hard to deal with you know coming uh you know you you become the point of sisters and these things start to blow up and the you said you know you break bet midler's uh record and things uh was the ever fought did you was it ever hard to deal with you know becoming uh famous and successful at the time no. <laughs> uh-huh. Very good. I wouldn't think so either, but a lot of people say otherwise. Right. No, it wasn't. We never became like superstars like Michael Jackson and, you know, people that can't go through the airport, Beyonce, you know. But we, you know, we saw it. We were close enough to see it. And um, 
I just appreciate the, the love and the people that, you know, recognize our talent and, 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 and gave to us and by listening to our music. Mm-hmm. You know. So I, I saw an interview where you talked about, uh, you know, the Carol Burnett show and how, like, uh, you know, important that was to you. So uh, what was it about the Carol Burnett show and Carol Burnett? She was just a sweetheart, and she had a hit show at the time, and we did her show, like, I don't know how many times, but it was just fun. We I learned, you know, she, she taught us a lot, too, because we also went on the road with Carol Burnett, mm-hmm. Vegas and Tahoe with her. And... um you know, she, she's just, I mean, the, the show is just so precise and so organized. It was just beautiful to be there, just, just seeing how organized and great the, they were working everything. And then on the road, she told us, you know, because we were going on the road, we used to take everything we had, all our whole wardrobe, and then decide once we got out on the road what we were going to wear. <laughs> right. That night. And she said, no, honey, that's not the way you do it. You take, she said, it's like a stage play. Mm-hmm. And that's the truth. On the road, it's like a stage play. You pick your costumes. You have just what you're going to wear for this section of the show. Have something for that segment of the show. And that's it. You don't have to take these big... We were taking <laughs> big cases on the road back in the day when we were bribing the people at the airport to get them on the planes, which is right. crazy. <laughs> uh-huh. But we did it, and they let us do it. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, my God. We're lucky to be here. <laughs> but Carol Burnett was really a lot of fun, and so was Cher, and so was Flip Wilson. Oh, God, we had so much fun with them. I loved doing television. It was really a lot of fun. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, they, and Carol also commented on how fast we learned, you know, because we're mm-hmm. good at memorizing scripts and stuff like that, and songs, mm-hmm. learning the new songs, because... Oh, I think it's Ken and Mitzi Welch were the writers for the music on her show, and they would come up with some of the most incredible songs just out of the blue. You know, they'd make them up for for whatever scene they were writing for in her show, and Mm -hmm. they were incredible writers, and they were were amazed at how fast we could pick it up. Mm -hmm. We did. Uh, Do you have any any stories with Tim Conway? This is one of my favorite uh, performers from the Carabinet show. We love Tim Conway. He went on the road with us, and he did this thing called the Boring Speech. <laughs> and he was so funny. This is where Carol would be giving a speech, and he's acting like he's just falling asleep in his plate of food. We're at like a, you know, a conference or something, and we're sitting mm-hmm. at a table with food, and and it ends up where he falls into the plate of food, <laughs> and when he comes back up, he's got a pork chop on his head. Uh (laughs) the audience would just die (laughs) and not only that he would come on stage as the fourth pointer sister because June at that time when we were on the road with Carol Burnett she was having some problems she didn't go on the road with us Mm -hmm. so it was me Ruth and Bonnie and Tim would come out the Bob Mackey made a dress for him (laughs) (laughs) that was just like the ones he made for us and he came out with the dress on as the fourth pointer sister every show. Mm-hmm. He was just so funny. I love him. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, what was the experience like go- going to Africa with uh, Muhammad Ali? Oh boy, that was really some experience. I tell you, I, oh, I just kind of I, I, I loved. I met some people over there and ended up. Going to you know some homes or what I really would say were huts. They mm-hmm. had no floor, 
no door, just a piece of cloth in the front of the house and bamboo on the floor, you know, for bamboo rugs or some of and some of the rugs were some of the floors were just dirt. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Just dirt. Oh, but it was just so beautiful. Oh my God, there was so much land, so much beautiful land and and beautiful people that were just going crazy over the stuff we had brought over, T-shirts, hats, you know, that was from America. And so we traded a lot of things with them, you know. But it was a wonderful experience. We ended up not seeing the fight because the fight was postponed. Mm -hmm. And uh, But we spent most of our time hanging out with Ali when we were there. He invited us to go to his training camp every day. So he would send his guys to pick us up every day and go and watch him train. And that's what we would do. And uh, Bill Woods, Bill Withers was there. And, oh, it was just, God, it was amazing. And we ended up going to a sta- to the stadium. It was like a 200,000 stadium in Kinshasa, Zaire. And they had built it just for this event. And um, we went in one night. One night of the event, it was like five nights, we performed on, I think it was the second night, but we had all this time afterwards to be there. But we went in with Ali one night to the stadium, and it was so amazing. It was like being with the king. I mean, because they were so in love with him. They would fall at his feet. Mm-hmm. They would fall at his feet like he was, you know, a savior. Uh-huh. But we, and being with him while they're doing that was just, Ooh-wee, all the energy just coming, you know, I couldn't believe it. My goodness, they love you. Yeah. Yeah, but it was really a great experience to be in Zaire and, you know, in Africa for the first time. And, mm-hmm. you know, the beautiful land. And it was like Hollywood in Africa because everybody was there. You know, Sister Sledge, um, Curtis Mayfield, James Brown, Bill Withers. Um, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. Mm-hmm. Etta James so- was there. Oh, wow. Yeah, the Crusaders, Humasakila. Oh, my God. When I think about all the people that were there, it was so, so incredible. Mm-hmm. A lot so, of them are gone now. That's you know? unfortunate. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, what are some of the countries, like, uh, you were maybe surprised that you got to perform in? And were any of the, do the do different audiences in different countries um, react differently to when you're performing in front of them? They do. Like in Japan, um, they're very conservative, you know, yeah. they don't really applaud until the end of the show. And then they start throwing all these stuffed animals on the stage. That's all it's kind of cool. <laughs> but they loved us, you know, and, and in uh-huh. Thailand, where they don't even speak English, you know, they didn't even speak our language, the same in Japan. And they just loved the Pointer Sisters. They were, you know, waiting for autographs. And I just, I'm just so honored that they... You know, can feel the music when you can't can't even understand the words. You yeah. can feel the goodness in the music. You really can. I know I, I have that way too with mm-hmm. certain music that I listen to. Yeah. Did you get? Did you keep any of the stuffed animals they threw on on, on the stage? I did. Uh-huh. I sure did. I have a bunch of them. I sure did. I kept. You know, I keep everything. Yeah, <laughs> I would too. So yeah. <laughs> I do. I have animals that I got from Japan. Yes, I do. Hmm. That's very cool. Yeah, uh, it's a weird thing, but uh, I'm also a wrestling fan, and uh, and I know from uh, wrestling in Japan, it's the same way. Is that uh, 
they don't like react like they do here. They don't, you know, get into the match. But after it's over, they like politely clap. It's a very, it's a very yeah, different yeah. audience. That's like it was at our show. You know, mm-hmm. you're thinking, you're thinking that they don't hear you, are they? They're <laughs> right. not listening or something. But at the end, they let you know. <laughs> yeah, they sure yeah. Did. They let us know that they were right there with us and they loved us. And you know, we went back several times. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of you, you said you you kept everything. Um, mm-hmm. Recently, I had a Dee Dee from the Hollywood Museum, and she wanted to say uh, hello, uh, Donnell. And uh, you know Donnell? Uh, well, I just uh, talked to her recently for for the shows, uh, and she invited me out out to the, the museum uh, once things get back to normal. So I will take she her up is on that. My angel, I love her. She gave me the whole second floor of the Hollywood Museum, and it's the mm-hmm. most incredible exhibit you ever want to see. Donnell was just so beautiful. She just, you know, I, I've been trying to get an exhibit up for years because I collected things from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and I had it all in storage. And, you know, I had Donnell come over and see what we had done with it. And we had, you know, put everything in plastic and numbered and labeled everything. And, and it was, it was such a, a labor of love, but Donnell came in and said, you know, God, you guys have done most of the work already. I just, just got to get <laughs> Steve and Gwen and her people together to, to help us get it into the museum. And Roxy, my granddaughter, and Alvin, her friend, and uh, Chaz and JT, they went up there day and night and put that exhibit together for me, and I am so grateful to Donnell. I just can't tell you. I'm, it's like a dream come true. Mm-hmm. To have that exhibit there, it really is. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty awesome. And we it's also have a book nice. out. It's called Ever After, which is also <laughs> the title of the exhibit, Ever After. Yeah. And uh, the book it's on it's on the dot com right now, and you can you can buy a digital a digital book, but we don't have a hard copy. Mm-hmm. But digital books you can get. Yeah. And we're well, also working. I'm working on a book on my uh, black collectibles, and it's called oh, wow. Special Things. And it'll be out soon, too, to just a digital book that everybody can look at while they're home in quarantine. Exactly. <laughs> Which we all need something to do, like listen to the podcast. <laughs> or whatever. Right, right. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's like living in a horror movie. It is. It's very strange. I, I live in a small town, so I still go for my walks every day. But like uh-huh. uh, the other, I went for a walk. The other, it's not, I say night walk, but it wasn't that late. But there wasn't a soul anywhere, and it was like a movie where, where it's you know, it was like post-apocalyptic, but it was very much like that. The, I took a picture out in the middle of the street because there wasn't a car anywhere, and <laughs> nobody, no cars. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God, that's how it is here because usually L.A. is ridiculous traffic. I mean, mm-hmm. just totally ridiculous. But there's nobody on the streets now. It's like a ghost town. Yeah. And it's almost scary. It is. It's, it's a creepy feeling to be out there. Yeah. Oh, we're so glad when we're past all this because it's so such a you know disturbance in our lives that everything everything yeah. is affected. Our everything everything the stores the food the travel the hospitals. Mm. You know. Yeah. Yeah, so I feel bad for a lot, like uh, you know, the small businesses and and theaters. Yeah. I like to go to the movies, and a lot of them are, but they might not reopen, and you know. I mean, I feel so sorry for those. There was a girl on TV this morning saying she had been working on this project for three years, and they were just about to open in March, and they had to close everything down. You know, theater in in Burbank. She said she's been working on this project. They did a movie, and they were going to have a screening in March, and they had to 
shut it down. And there's so many, like the college students who worked all this time to graduate, and oh, it's just affecting everyone everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I I made my first short film last year, and it was in festivals, and was going to play here. I'm in Massachusetts, and was going to play. Uh, this one, it's played other ones, which I'm grateful for, but it was in a play in Boston, which I was really looking forward to because it's the first festival I ever went to. And to have my movie there, I was like, this is very cool. Yeah. But unfortunately, it, it was uh, it was going to be like two weeks ago and it's uh, postponed. So I'm not sure when, oh. but uh, but hopefully it still happens. Oh, my goodness. See there, that's what I'm talking about. You know, <laughs> things that people have worked on and put so much hard work into and if everything stops. Everything just comes to a stop. Nothing else can happen. It's so hard. Lord have yeah. mm-hmm. well, I hope your project comes through. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was out, I was out in uh, in L.A. in December, um, and uh, so I was walking Hollywood Boulevard, and uh, so your stars there, the Pointer Sisters. Uh, what was that? Ex- what was that experience like to get a star on the on, on the Walk of Fame? Oh, that was unbelievable! Our manager Sterling Winters was our managers at the time, Jason Winters and Eric Sterling, and they they I guess you have to do a petition or something with the city council to get them to approve that you are worthy of the star <laughs> and they granted us the, the star and we had a big ceremony out on the street and then we had a big party at the house of blues mm-hmm. it was just so so wonderful it was kind of a kickoff to the ain't misbehaving tour also that we did oh okay very cool yeah. so so I was born in the seventies and grew up like in the eighties. So uh, a lot. A child. <laughs> so a lot, of, a lot of the music, like I know uh, of your guys, is is a big is eighties and stuff that was like on MTV and that stuff. So what was that era like though with the rise of music videos? Oh God, it was fabulous because I remember talk talk about music videos in the early seventies. Mm-hmm. And to have it finally happen and have CDs, which we saw over in Germany many years before that, before they came out here, and and have a video shows on television. I remember my friend, my our road manager Linda Rogoff. She she used to talk about that, and and they happened, you know. And we were some of the first uh, girl black group to ever perform and get you know the videos on MTV, and. I wish they'd play them some more now, because I watch <laughs> I watch MTV and VH1 for those. Yeah. I love my eighties and yeah, yeah. Those shows like that. And and I don't tell them to play the songs from the Pointer Sisters songs from the eighties, please. Uh-huh. <laughs> but that was a thrill. It really was great. We broke, you know, we we opened a lot of doors, and I'm so happy we did. And I I appreciate all those who went before me, who opened the doors for me. You know, from <clears throat> Aretha, Diana Ross. Gladys Knight, you know, the Supremes, the Emotions, all those. And then we came along and we opened doors for people like the Emotions and Destiny's Child and TLC. And, you know, it's, it's like a revolving door. You just, you give, you get and you, you give and you receive. You give mm-hmm. and receive. So, uh, when I uh, mentioned you're coming on, I get a lot of people sending in questions here on social media, if you don't mind asking, answering a few. Okay, I'll take it. All right. William wants to know what was it like entertaining the troops uh, during the Persian Gulf in 1991 with Bob Hope. Oh, that was so wonderful! Oh my God, just being in that part of the world, you know, on and 
flying in those army helicopters and being on the Navy ships. We went on, we had Christmas on one of the Navy uh, hospital ships. And it was just, it was just, a, it was a thrill. It was a real different experience. I remember us being on one of the ships and I went to sit down and one of the guys, one of the servicemen told me, don't sit there. And I said, why? What's wrong with that? He said, it's a bomb. I said, oh, God. Jeez. Oh, yeah. I won't sit there. And yeah. Hope was just great. We had wonderful time with him doing, performing for the troops, and they seemed to love us. A lot of them wanted to come home with us. They told me that. <laughs> but, um, you know, they were over there doing their job, serving their country, and I really loved them for that. And then we came mm -hmm. back to the States, and they had a big show at the Universal Amphitheater. And it was, you know, the Pointer Sisters and Bob Hope and... It was even um, Barbara and George Bush. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, they were there, and, and we had a big show there. We performed. God, I wish I had a copy of that performance. It was wonderful. I wonder if I could find that. Mm-mm-mm. Mm -hmm. That's another. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, but it was great. We had a fabulous show back in L.A. for, you know, the troops and everything, and it was televised, too. Yeah. Uh, Mike wants to know what was it like recording a song for Sesame Street? Oh God, that was so cute. We loved it. The one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, <laughs> nine, ten, eleven, twelve. <laughs> it was so much fun, and we took our kids. Jada, my daughter Jada, and Ruthie took our kids, Fawn and Malik, and we had our brother's kids, Nandi and and Shigan. And we all just had a ball doing that show. I was so proud because we love Sesame Street. Mm -hmm. You know, we grew up here in the Sesame Street, and I was just so uh, proud to be a part of it. I think it was great, and I think we had a great session there. The music we did is, is just everlasting. Mm -hmm. you know? I agree. Yeah, uh, I love it. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Some people ask stuff we are to cover, but uh, H. Scott wants to know, what was it like filming Car Wash with Richard Pryor? Ooh, my goodness. <laughs> Car Wash was such a treat. And we just happened to be at a friend's house in L.A., and uh, he came in, Gary Schaumberg, and said, I'm doing a movie. And we said, put us in the movie, you know. And he said, okay, and he did. And I was like, I was so surprised that that's how easy it was. <laughs> <laughs> if you would have known, you could ask before that, yeah. I'm telling you, yeah, really, being at the right place at the right time and being ready, because he loved us. He were, we already had songs out, you know, that he knew about, and he loved the Pointer Sisters, so he was happy to put us in the movie, and the movie was already kind of finished, and he put us in as, you know, the ladies from the church with Richard Pryor, and we hung out with him all day and went to his house after the taping. And Oh, wow. Oh, boy, we had a time. I had a great time. <laughs> he was so <laughs> funny. Yeah. And we had a really, really good time with him. So Car wash was just fabulous. Norman um, Norman Whitfield did the music. And uh, the song that he gave to Rose Royce, which is the title song of the movie, we should have gotten that song, but Rolls Royce was his group, so he gave it to his people. <laughs> All right, fair enough. <laughs> Uh, Brad wants to know what's your opinion on uh, the Saved by the Bell episode you were on. Saved by the Bell. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I've never watched. Maybe it was give me. A break. It was, give me a, we'll we'll go with that. Give me give me. A, I've never watched Saved by the Bell, so I'm not sure. But, yeah. With Neil Carter. All right, we'll That's go with that. About, right? All right, maybe. <laughs> 
Well, all the TV stuff was fun. You know, like television back in the 70s and 80s, for sure, was social media. That was our media. We didn't have no Instagram or Facebook. You know, we had to get on TV to get get things out to the masses. You know, and, and you know, we didn't even get it out as much as, as the Facebook and Instagram does it now. I mean, they get it all over the world with one little picture, you're gone. Mm-hmm. But um, all the TV stuff we did, you know, was fun. And uh, working with Nell Carter was fun. She was a sweetheart. We even had the same manager at one point. Oh, wow. And uh, I did her role. And uh, she won a Tony, I think, for um, Misbehaving. Mm-hmm. And I played her part when we went on the road, and uh, I didn't get a Tony. <laughs> oh, well, I'm, I'm very sorry about that. <laughs> but I played the hell out of that part. Let me I tell believe you, you did. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you're very deserving. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> right. If I had my way, I'd, I'd get you a Tony. But right. <laughs> uh, my, my friend Ju. My friend Juliana, who I haven't seen for a while because I can't get up to Boston where she lives at the moment, but uh, she wants to know uh, what's on your playlist these days. Oh, you know, I don't really have a playlist. I really don't. And um, I listen more to my stuff, <laughs> Pointer Sister stuff, <laughs> there you and, my, and, and Anita Pointer stuff, you know, songs that I write. We just, me and June, I mean, not June, me and Bonnie just wrote a song in honor of June, our sister who passed away, mm-hmm. and it's called Feels Like June, and Steve Diamond, he did the music and produced it for us. He's out of Nashville. He's a wonderful producer. He did all the, Molly, um, what's her name, uh, my my Miley Cyrus. Miley Cyrus. Yeah, he did all her stuff for Hannah Montana. Okay. And um his wife, Terry Diamond, was the A and R person at RCA when the Pointer Sisters were with RCA and she was in very much the executive producer of my solo album that I did with RCA. And she came this was the end of last year. Uh they came to LA and we got together at my little studio here at the house and me and Bonnie wrote the lyrics and Steve did all the music and the mastering and mixing and everything. And it's such a beautiful song. It's called feels like June, you know, yeah. no matter where, no matter what month it is, it still feels like June. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so please listen to it. Take a listen to it. You can find it on Spotify and, uh, YouTube and uh, yeah, I'm definitely going to check that out right after the, the interview. That's, and it's yeah. also obviously very personal to you, too, about your sister. It is. You know, I wrote all the verses, and Bonnie came in and helped me with Finish It Up, and she wrote the rap, and, you know, but it's, oh, it was, it really touched me just to write that song. It took a while, because I started writing it months before me and Steve got together again. It was months, it was like maybe a year before mm-hmm. we started it, and, um... It was great to just feel it in my heart and, and get the words out. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's hard to get those feelings out. Mm-hmm. But I love what I wrote, and I think it's fabulous. And you got to listen to it. Feels Like June is a fabulous song in honor of our darling sister June, who we miss so much. Very nice. And uh, she has a couple more questions. She wants to know what's been a major ch- what's been the major change you've seen in the music industry's uh, presentation of black women's music? 
everything is hip hop now. You know, mm-hmm. these young girls, these young black girls, they're all hip hop, and I don't really know too much about hip hop. Right. But um, I mean, they got what Lizzo and uh, what's some other black performers? I can't even think of any right now. Besides Beyonce, of course, we know her. Right. And I think all the, all the other girls from Destiny's Child, they still work out there. And um, what was the question again, Neil? I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, sorry. What's been a major change you've seen in the music industry's presentation uh, of black women's music? Ooh, well, the presentation, oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> the presentation is very raw. It's very raw. I mean, the stuff they do and the way they dress. Oh, right, oh, right. Yeah. They be twerking and all this, you know, it's the, Lord, they be doing all the dances that I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could do. Uh-huh. Well, you could still but do that, it. It's a whole yeah. different look, you know, it's a whole uh-huh. different acceptance of that now. Right, you know? right. Yeah, it's a different and world, so yeah. Lizzo and all them girls, they be just doing whatever they want to do, and it's okay. It seems to be okay. Mm-hmm. It's a good thing, yeah. And she also wants to know, do you still play the sax? <laughs> I have not played the sax in years, but I do have one. Matter you do, fact, I, have like. two. Uh-huh. I have two alto saxes that I keep in my music room. I haven't played them though in a long time. i got to get some new reeds. That's what i got to get. All right, fair enough. Now, how many different <laughs> instruments do you play? Just the sax, and just I don't really sax. play okay. that one. I just... You know, I mess around with. It. I was in the band in Arkansas mm-hmm. on a alto sax, and I kind of memorized the fingering of the song that we were doing. Uh-huh. One of my my killer song was when the Saints go marching in, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which you never covered as the Pointer Sisters, oddly enough. Yeah. <laughs> oh God! But I love the saxophone. Ooh, I tried piano. My daddy wanted us all to play piano. I had piano lessons. And I can still play the songs from my piano lessons book. Mm-hmm. But that's about it. Uh, what was that like for your parents when you when you started the tour? Like, uh, what did they think of your music when you started to put out records? Well, you know, once me and Bonnie and June went to London with Dave Mason, mm-hmm. they saw the serious side of what we were doing. They understood then that we mean this. And they really supported us. You know, they came to the airport when we left. My mother and her church friends, they all came and prayed for us at the airport going to London. And um, they were very, you know, they were afraid because it was rock and roll and blues and drugs and all that crap, you know. And so uh, they were really afraid for us to be out there, but they really believed in us and trusted our opinion and, you know, the things that we were going to do and saw how serious we were taking everything and, and letting them know what we were doing, you know, it wasn't a secret. We let them know when we were going places on the road, doing backup singing, we let them know. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that's good. So uh, the book, Fairy Tale, people can get at uh, Amazon and Barnes & Noble, and you can go to your website, anitapointer.com. And, uh, where else can people follow Anita Pointer? I guess they could just put that into Google and they'll find where you are. Right, I'm all over Google. They got every birth date, every everything. Right, right. right. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, and the exhibit we have is so wonderful. And tomorrow yeah. is my daughter's birthday, Jada. Oh, happy wrote birthday! A song about her on our first album. Me and Bonnie wrote a song called Jada, and um, it's a beautiful song about my little daughter, my daughter who passed away in 2003. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know that. I'm yeah. sorry to hear that. 
Well, that's some of the hard things I had to talk about in that book, and yeah. it's not easy, believe you me, it's not. Yeah, I'm actually, because uh, I found out about, you know, you coming on uh, not that long ago, so I didn't get a chance to read your book, but I really do want to read your book, and not just because you're here. I like to read your story, and uh, maybe after I read the book, we can uh, do a second part, and I can ask you about some stuff that, that I find out about you, if you'd be interested. That'd be great. Yes, Neil, yeah. do that. All right, very good. And I, uh, yeah, I really appreciate coming on. It's been it's been lovely to talk with you. I appreciate you, Neil. Thank you so much. All my high school friends are off in college now. And I get high and watch TV all day. Living in my mother's basement's really not that bad. I got everything I need and I don't pay. And playing ball Then came my school classes That I couldn't understand And girls who wouldn't notice me at all But I never asked to grow up So please don't make me do it I wasn't meant to grow up Don't think I'll make it through it Things have been going south since I But I say not now No, not right now But when they say I need to get a life I just agree with them But I don't know how for me.